bringing Knoxville the uncompromised Word of God. This is The Way, 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology, wars, and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome into Signs of the Times. It's our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news for Friday, March 5th, 2021. Along with Pastor Mark Kirk, I'm your host, Greg Hill. Thanks for staying with us for the next hour. If you're listening live, online, or on the air, or maybe you're listening to episode 159 later and many of our podcast resources, if you're interested in subscribing to our podcast or learning more about our program, we invite you to go to thewaymedia.net and just click on Signs of the Times. Uh, in our end days, we are seeing a lot of deception in the world. We see deception coming from governments and coming from causes and coming from concerns and issues that really aren't issues, but they're manufactured in such a way uh, to create fear and to create control. But then there's also deception that comes from what most people would consider within the church. But Is this deception really coming from the church or coming from other people or places that pretend to be the church as we think of the church as Christians? And to talk more about that is Pastor Mark and our special guest. Yeah, thank you, Greg, for the intro. I'm very excited to have with us Liel Kirk, uh, who just happens to be my daughter, but she is also really um, very involved in ministry and used in great ways in ministry and um, has a real heart for... um, you know, the, the cult community, those that are trapped in false religions and things like that, and has quite the ministry going for that. And I thought this would be a great opportunity. It's such a need out there um, in our world today for you know, everybody's had the knock on their door and that, you know, nervous thing. What do I say to these people that are standing there and their bikes are parked out front? And, and it's more than just getting them away from the door. It's trying to learn how to love them and, and get them to the door, Jesus Christ, the true door. And so I'm excited to have you here and hear more about the ministry. So I don't want to take too much time giving an intro other than saying it's, it's you know, um, Helmet of Hope Ministry is a ministry you started reaching into the cult um, areas of the cult. And so, Lil, tell us a little bit about uh, Helmet of Hope Ministries. What is it? And, um, and uh, you know, what really your heart is, what your goal is with this ministry? So Helmet of Hope was really birthed last summer, and it really came about because of the coronavirus. The reason why I started getting more involved in this, because the specific thing that we're talking about today is Mormonism, um, or as they like to be referred to, Latter-day Saints of the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, When COVID happened, they had to take a break from going door to door and they began using Facebook Messenger and social media. No door to door. Yes. And so they were able to reach (laughs) much, much more people in a shorter amount of time. Yeah. And um, really, social media has been their main gateway. And that was how I got introduced to. Yeah, we're having mic issues. Sorry, we'll just raise it up here. See if that helps. Right there, Greg. We'll try that. Sorry about that. Go ahead. That's how I was reached out to. And um, it was just two missionaries who wanted to meet, and they'll introduce it as if they want to tell you about Jesus, they want to talk about the Word, and that's why I would say, specifically, if you're reaching out to Mormons, you do need to study and look at the background and understand where they're coming from, because this they use a lot of the same terms, a lot of the same lingo that we do as believers, and you think that you're on the same page, but actually, they're really deceived yeah, and it's interesting that you brought up, I don't mean to cut you off on your thought there, but now it's not just the occasional two at the front door. Yes. Knocking on the door. Now they're coming on your screen, and their their presence is, is it really right in front of us, which means we need to be all the more aware of how to reach them. Yes, absolutely. How many times do you have someone coming to you asking to discuss yeah. 
Jesus. And so many times we push them away and it's easy to get irritated and frustrated. But the the thing that the Lord gave me, the the reason why Helmet of Hope became the name of this ministry is actually from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. And so I began meeting with them, reading the Book of Mormon, um, just to get an understanding of where they're coming from. But it takes very little um, study to see and begin to see all of these contradictions. Um, but it gets very disheartening because they're very, very, very lost and confused and deceived. And so I started getting disheartened and thinking, is there any point in me continuing to go forward in this? And First Thessalonians 5, 8 says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Mm. So he's referencing Ephesians, where we already talked about having the helmet of salvation on our heads, but this specifically says the hope of salvation. And that is why we continue on and pursue these souls who are deceived, because there is a hope, not only for us in our salvation, but for their salvation. Yeah, and see, the the heart you have for this is amazing to me, because one of the most frustrating things for me, and I've been, of course, dealing with the occult for many years, not in a direct ministry like you, but it's very frustrating, Mm -hmm. because it seems like you can't get anywhere with them, they're Mm -hmm. spiritually blind, and it can be a very tiring, frustrating thing, and so the fact that you have that desire to push through, which is what I hear you saying here, we need to have that kind of desire to say, you know what, it's worth the effort to push through, um, because of they need to be reached, but they're really hard to reach. It's very frustrating, I would think, as far as in, in your outreach. Is that what you've seen? Yes, I would say um, this is why the study, knowing what you're going into is important. Obviously, the Lord can use you regardless of how much you know. But something that we love to do um, when meeting with Mormon missionaries is use something called the truth test. Okay, That takes them directly to Deuteronomy. So something to understand about Mormons is that they believe that God reveals truth primarily through feelings and that the Holy Spirit reveals truth through feelings. If you go into a conversation with them understanding that, it will bring so much more clarity because if they start to feel, they're also taught that contention is only from the enemy. So if they feel confronted on anything, they automatically are trained to think this is contention, this is of the enemy, this is so not right. So anytime you try to reach them, they think it's the enemy. Well, if you're confronting <laughs> them. So if you present it to them in this way of I'm not trying to confront you. I'm not trying to be contentious. Let's look at this together. That brings them a little bit of peace. And then you say, um, could we look at, I know that it says the Book of Mormon is built upon the spirit of prophecy. That's what it says in the intro. Do you mind if we look at the Bible for what the Lord says the standard is for prophecy? Okay, before we get too much into this, you talked about this. You're going to do this way to walk them through. I think it'd be good for our listeners to hear these actual steps because this will all get lost as it mingles together. For example, step one, if I'm hearing you right, is understanding the feelings-based approach of the Mormons. You know how they're thinking. Would that be this kind of step one or is that just more of an understanding? I guess I want to make sure as you cover this approach, they know Something you can remember, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like here's step one, step two. Is there a way you can break it down for us like that? Or is that uh, overcomplicate what we're talking about here? I would think knowing that they're coming from a place of feelings is something to just come in with. And if it, okay. if it comes up, to bring it up. All right. Which that can be a whole nother discussion because there's other references. But the most powerful one is the truth test because you would say, hey, I've looked at the Book of Mormon. I've seen that it's written by prophets. Can we look at what the Lord says in Deuteronomy to know the test of a true prophet. So this is the truth test, Deuteronomy. Yes. Okay, that's okay, great. And they okay. believe that the Bible is comparable to the Book of Mormon. So they will say, Yes, absolutely. We love the Bible. We wanna we wanna see what it says. And so the first step in the truth test is taking them to Deuteronomy chapter thirteen. Verses 1 through 15. And when you're speaking to Mormons, I would use the King James Version because that's the only version that they believe is valid. Right, right. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 15 speaks that if a prophet arises or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods, which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet 
or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So that right there gives us a very clear picture that even if the prophet has signs that come to pass, if it goes against a former commandment of God's word, it is a false prophet. Wow. We don't have to listen to them. Well, so let me real quick. I don't, I'm cutting you off here, but again, I want them to understand: just because they're accurate on something doesn't mean it's of God. Because it might be if it goes against God's word, whether they're accurate, we're being tested. It could be the enemy, and God wants to see our faithfulness to not go on feelings, but to go on His word. Yes, because He's already laid it out for us. He's already given us these standards. That's good. The next one is in Deuteronomy, and. You're good. The next one is in Deuteronomy chapter 18, mm-hmm. um, 19 through 20. Well, let's start in verse 21. Sure. This is talking about if a prophet presumes to speak a word in God's name. And I think mine just cut off. It's all right. Keep going. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22 says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that thing, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. And so we take this verse, we take the former verse, and we say, can we look at the Book of Mormon and look through the prophecies? Yes, don't and, clarify the second one because you didn't clarify it. it oh, the word yes. speaks for itself. But what you're saying is the second one was, if, if the first one is they say something and it does come to pass, but it goes against the Word of God. Yes. The second one is they say something and it doesn't come to pass. That also shows they're a false prophet. So both of those are really false prophet tests. Yes. And they have to meet both of those. And once you lay that groundwork, now you go to the Book of Mormon and talk about what their prophets have done. No, no. Let me just say this before you go on. It takes a little bit of study to know what their prophets have said. Most people are going to hear that and say, well, great. I know that's true, but I can't go to the Book of Mormon and prove anything unless you read it with them. Mm-hmm. And so I'll let you take it from there. So where, where would you go after that? You go to the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Now what do um, we do? Well, the very first reference I would take them to is in the book of Nephi. And I don't have the exact reference written down, but it's very easy to search and to find um, that speaks about many precious plain many precious and plain parts being removed from the word of God. So you could even ask them about Nephi where it says that they probably are taught that and they yes. know. You, they and you can you also just search it in a you know a search engine and just right. say precious plain and parts removed from the Bible and right. it brings up that reference right away. You take them to that, ask them to explain it. That that goes into deeper stuff about the apostasy, but then bring them to the Qumran caves the preserved scrolls, and many of them have never heard of this before. They've never heard of the scrolls, most of these missionaries, and say, we can go look at the great Isaiah scroll. It all aligns. Mormons are taught that the way the Bible, the manuscripts were copied was that one monk wrote it out, and then another monk wrote it all out, and another wrote it all out. Time like as long as that took, just one after another, so that pieces had time to go missing. But in reality... They were all written at the same time, and we have about 24,000 that all align with each other. And this is talking about the New Testament manuscripts, more than the Iliad, more than the Odyssey. If someone had wanted to remove a precious and plain part, it would have stood out very strongly. And so we have evidences that that prophecy did not come to pass. And let me just say for our listeners who may not know what you're talking about when you say Qumran, Qumran, the Qumran caves and the Qumran scrolls were scrolls they found that date some 300, some of them, these were 300 years before Christ and some of them even older now um, that are basically the, the Bible. And what we can see by looking at them, because we found them, is the Bible has not been changed. And the Mormon will say, it's been rewritten. Yes. It's been changed. Well, the, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls from Qumran show the Bible has not yes. been changed. And that's where the power comes in, the authority. Yes. And um, they believe because we have so many translations of the Bible, that's evidence of it being corrupted. But bringing them back to, it's all from the same source. It's go. all from the same root. You can go to Blue Letter Bible and look at the original wording. It's go. not been... Um, There are no theological principles that have changed or shifted, which is not the case for the Book of Mormon. But you could go back and show them where theirs have changed. But I would, before we get into that, or we don't really have time to get in because that's such a long discussion. But the second main prophecy that I would bring them to is in the Book of Alma. 
A-L-M-A, and you can just look up Alma Prophecy about Jerusalem, and it says very, very clearly that Jesus would be born at Jerusalem. Mm. There's really no getting around that one. Mm -hmm. There's really not. And the way that they have explained it is, well, Alma was just a man. He was doing his best, but he didn't he didn't live in Israel. This was for those living in ancient America. They didn't know Israel, so they just used the biggest city that they could think of. And you can bring them back to Deuteronomy. Besides that just being like absurd that God would not speak very directly and clearly about the birth of his son. Mm-hmm. Just bring them back and say, you know, it said if one word, if the word does not come to pass and there's not a single person who would debate that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It's, it's an established fact that yeah. that's where he was born. There are even, they'll try to say Jerusalem was so close to Bethlehem. They were basically the same thing. There were cities separating them. And you and for me, it's helpful because I've been there and I can say I lived in Jerusalem. Nobody was mistaking it for Bethlehem. No, and they're five and six miles apart. So what you're saying is based out of Deuteronomy 18, where it says the prophet has to be 100 percent accurate or he's false of the two different litmus tests. This prophet, Alma, supposedly a prophet who said that uh, the Lord was going to be born in Jerusalem. That right there proves he's a false prophet. And then their argument's going to be, well, no, it's close enough. Well, it kind of reminds me of those commercials on right now. You know, is things, you know, is how close does a hand grenade need to be before somebody gets hurt around it? You know, uh, close enough is not close enough. It needs to be accurate. And, um, and so, and that's not the best example I use there. But the point is, is that God doesn't miss. God is 100% accurate on all things. And so that's a great one right there to refute for our listeners to jot down for those who can disprove one of their prophets. And Deuteronomy 13, the one about the signs, um, that one's very important because they rely a lot on emotions and signs to know truth. And we are not saying that those are invalid or that they didn't have real experiences. But an example that I like to use is when Moses came to to Pharaoh and his staff turned into a snake and then their staffs turned into snakes, right. but his snake ate theirs. That was still a real sign, but it was, it was demonic power. So we have to go back to the word. And if the prophet has spoken something that contradicts what God has said, that is a false prophet. And that is when you can bring up how Joseph Smith spoke about, um, and it's called the Follett sermon, sermon, F O L L E T. Um, he spoke about the great mystery, the great secret being revealed that God is actually an exalted man. And he's mm. always been a man. And he has had a father who has had a father who has had a father. And that it just kind of continues on. And we ourselves can become gods. And they they try to keep people from knowing about that sermon. But Joseph Smith said it. And he said, if this isn't true, then disregard everything else I've said. Oh my. So it's a very important, it's called the King Follett sermon. It's very powerful. It's very confrontational, but go to numbers where, where God says that he's not a man that he should lie. Yeah. Go to Isaiah, where it very clearly says, I am the beginning and the end before me. There is no God. There was no other God formed. Is there a rock besides me? I know no other. Then he said, my, my hands have stretched out the heavens. In the King Follett Sermon, it says there were a council of gods that made the heavens and the earth. You go to those chapters where God very, and I used to read them growing up thinking, God is so emphatic about him being the only one. And it makes sense because there would be so much deception and corruption trying to create other beings and other gods. And Mormons even believe in a mother God, which is a whole different thing to go into. But that's why Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 15 is important because you can say, look, you might have had a burning in the bosom when you heard Joseph Smith say that God was an exalted man. But that goes against what God said in Numbers. And that goes against what God declared of himself in Isaiah. He has made himself known. So whose words should we add more weight to? How God describes himself or how a man who says that he's had a revelation from God describes him? If you want to find a reference to understand why Mormons come to feel come to how they derive truth it's doctrines and covenants nine eight through nine and it it tells us well it says that if you want to know if something is right and it's god speaking is what they're saying then pray and ask me if it's right and if it's right then i'll send a burning in your bosom and you'll know that it's right but if it's not right then you'll have a stupor of thought and then you'll forget 
what you've been told. That lays the groundwork for such deception because when we're blinded, when we don't have the Holy Spirit, when truth is being said to us, we go into a stupor of thought. And I've seen it happen to them when I've opened up the word and they just look like I'm confused. I don't get it. And because of this doctrine and covenants, they think I can dismiss it. It's not true. I'm confused instead of trying, instead of taking it on and letting it pierce them. And something that is important to bring up with them as well is God never tells us, here's my word, but pray and ask me if it's true. And if my word is true, you'll feel that it's true. He just says, all scripture is God breathed and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training and righteousness is able to make us complete and perfect for every good work. And so there is something that is that to be wary of because our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? It right. says in Jeremiah. And so we cannot trust ourselves to go and pray and wait for a feeling. We either believe the authority, the infallibility, and the inspiration of the word of God, or we're just left to our own devices, easily deceived and easily corrupted. So that's the the test that I would say is most crucial to walk through with them. Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 18 talks about how all scripture is God breathed. And then 2 Corinthians, one more reference, 11, 3 through 4 is where Paul says, I'm afraid that you will be deceived as the serpent deceived Eve, your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Mm. And that if someone teaches you a gospel contrary to my gospel, you may well put up with it. And so that gives us the understanding that he's, when he says my gospel or the gospel, which you have received from me. And he says, my gospel in second Timothy two, eight through nine, that's referring to what we have in our Bibles. That's why it's important. Paul is saying, if you reject my the gospel that I've shared with you, which we can read in our in the Word of God, then and if you, he's not talking about any other works there. He's not referencing the Book of Mormon or the Doctrines and Covenants or the Pearl of Great Price. He's talking about what Paul has spoken, and there are many things that Paul has said that are contradicted by the Book of Mormon, and so he's warning us. This is what we have to hold on to, what you've already said. He told Timothy, this scripture is able to make you wise for salvation. Hold on to scriptures that you have been raised up in from childhood. Yeah. And that is the only thing that Paul or that Jesus ever gives his stamp of approval to is what we already have written. And Well, we have to remember, I mean, Pearl of Great Price, Mormonism, none of that even existed. It was written, it came long after this. And Paul's saying, this is what we're to follow, which means, but we get warnings saying, if anybody brings something new, let them be accursed. So very clearly, Mormonism is left out. Everything that came after this, of course, we know that before it is also, if it's not the word of God, it's not to be accepted. But anything afterwards, which Mormonism came and all that, is discredited. Paul wasn't speaking about that at all. Now, I want to make sure we, we um, I don't want to stop you of any main points no, no. you have here, but I want to make sure that a couple things I want to get in before we our time runs out. And we have some more time. But So these are some main things. So we'll get to your website in a moment. But what are some of the resources? What are And maybe it's just the resources you can direct them to from your website. But somebody's out there, they're listening, they're saying, wow, I've heard a lot. And um, she obviously has a lot of knowledge about this, but I can't remember all this. And I've got some Mormon friends. And where do they begin? How do they, is it to come to Helmet of Hope? Are there other things as well? I mean, how do we start this process of reaching that Mormon friend? There are a lot of, of really good resources out there. But one of my favorite ones and where I would start with is just searching the Bible verse Joseph Smith. And that brings you to living hope ministries. And it's someone who has been um, doing this for decades and he has many good resources. And actually the Bible verse Joseph Smith takes you through the truth tests and he's in Israel walking it through with a Mormon scholar and going through each of these tests with him. And by the end, this guy is really unraveled, but he, he came to it with an, an open heart. So it's a good discussion, but he's also talking to geologists and archeologists and other Hebrew scholars that can validate these things. So I would start with that video really, and you can just search for it on YouTube. And then it brings you to his other resources where he will say DNA versus the book of Mormon, which is a really powerful one. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
on our website, Helmet of Hope, it's still being built and we're still adding resources to it. But that is something that you can find through our YouTube page. And I know that the link will be on this show and you can search for YouTube Helmet of Hope. Um, we do a cover of a Mormon hymn called Come Unto Christ. Right. And so if you, you say we do a cover, what you mean is tell them what oh, you did. Uh, Michaela and I. So there's a song. She that, works with you in the ministry. Michaela Thress. My okay. cousin. Yeah. There's a, a very popular horm, um, Mormon hymn. Right. Called Come Unto Christ. Um, but so, and it's beautiful, but some of the words are a little bit theologically unsound. Um, like the chorus says, come unto Christ, come unto him and be made holy again, because they believe that we started out holy, that we had a pre-earth existence so and that all we're doing it. is learning. Yeah. So we've rewritten it to share the gospel. I love it. And if you f- search for that video, it brings up our Helmet of Hope Ministries. Underneath that is the link to our site, our blog post, which breaks down um, the LDS doctrine versus the Bible, LDS doctrine versus the fall of man, LDS doctrine verse. And all that is on your site. Yes. It's all on the, the helmet of hope website. And we are coming out with a mini series that will be released on Monday where we're going to talk about these topics. Cause there's right. so much that we could go into Yeah, and it just breaks them down. Well, I want to make sure time wise before we get done. Okay. So the way we get now to, since you're building that website, that'll be coming up later as far as just a send to a website, but how do they find you now? Where would I go on my computer? I want to find you right now. My web on my computer. What would I do? It's through YouTube. If I'm not mistaken, is yes. that right? So what would I do? Type in YouTube. Finally L. The YouTube video that is most easily accessible right now is our Come Unto Christ cover but I mean, but by it, Helmet of Hope Ministries, and it will pop up. So just type in, is that the way to go through that song, or just look, YouTube Helmet of Hope? Yes, but so I would also try, try Come Unto Christ, because right. there's other people that have used that phrase. All right, so YouTube, YouTube uh, Come Unto Hope. Come Unto Christ. Come Unto Christ. Cover. YouTube Come Unto Christ cover, or YouTube And then look for Helmet the of Hope. Helmet of Hope link right under there and at the and on that youtube page there'll be a link and then later on what we can do is once that uh domain is established and your web page there we can be announcing that as well let people know about that and you can still go to it and it's still all set up and still has all the resources on yeah, there. yeah let me say if anybody's any questions you're listening right now you can call us call us at calvary chapel um i happen to know leo very well <laughs> um it's just almost as if she's my daughter and we can get you the information that you need to that i just think this is such a i uh, love her like a daughter yeah such an important ministry and such a wonderful ministry so um um, is there anything else before we run out of time? Because I know we're getting close to the end. Is there anything else? I mean, I want to make sure we've covered all the main things you had in your heart you wanted to share today. And I want to make sure they could get to that YouTube channel. And you don't have to have something, you know, be some wise saying here to finish up or whatever. But are we forgetting something you want the people to know in relation to this ministry and, and the outreach? Well, in relation to the ministry, we do have an email address as okay. well, which is helmet of hope ministries at gmail.com. So if there's any questions at gmail.com, they can be directed to the site and to resources through that. And if they have anyone that they want us to pray for, we're continually praying for um, all of these LDS members and those who are lost. But really, I would end with asking for the Lord to give you a heart, a broken heart for these people, a broken heart for their deception and let that brokenness fuel you. You know, I was just reading how Paul wrote in Acts chapter nine that he has continual grief in his heart. He's like, I, before God, I have grief in my heart continually. And that was for his fellow Jewish men, but that spurred his ministry and that kept it going. And that gave him the ability to go through these stripes. And of course it was knowing Christ, but Allow the Lord to break you for these lost souls and let that passion fuel you. Because if love is not the foundation of this, then we are a clanging symbol and we are just hurting their ears. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, obviously, this battle is won in the spirit. It's going to be by prayer. You can have all the good arguments and all the scripture, but unless God opens the eyes through prayer and the spiritual battle, we're not going to reach them. So, Liel, thank you for being with us. It's such a blessing to have you. I'm excited about what God's going to do with Helmet of Hope. And I know this is the very beginning of something. I think this is going to be much larger. And I'm, thank- I'm thankful we can get that resource out there, out there to our people. Like I said, once we get things, um, uh, you know, that you have things more established on your website as the ministry gets going even greater, I want to give that update information. Maybe have back on the show, maybe Michaela join us and talk about what God's done. 
yeah. in the ministry since then. But thank you for being with thank us. Thank you. Yeah. That's great. Thank you, Liel, and thank you, Pastor Mark. Folks, don't go anywhere. We've got a great listener question coming up about when is birth birth? When does life begin? Plus lots of articles of interest as Signs of the Times continues right here on WIAM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. W-I-A-M-L-P. 101.1 FM, Knoxville. What price are you willing to pay for success? Your health? Your marriage? Hi, I'm Chuck Bentley with My Money Life from Crown. Today, Crown's founder, Larry Burkett, says it may be time to renegotiate. After a seminar, a business seminar that I taught, I had a fellow come to me who's a very successful businessman. In fact, he said he had just expanded his business into their 17th state. And he came to me, he said, my life as a Christian consists of just scurrying from one place to the other. He said, I don't study God's Word. I don't know the last time God revealed anything to me personally through His Word. He said, I haven't set any time aside for God. I've given Him the leftovers. He said, and it's such a strong feeling inside that I'm out of order. He said, I'm going to do something about it. I didn't hear from him again for about three months. And he called me, he said, I just wanted to share with you that we've sold 16 of our 17 businesses. I've now made a vow to the Lord that I'm going to never work more than 40 hours a week. I've set a time aside for God. And we started with the same kind of plan that, that my pastor started me with, a 9.59. Ten minutes a day. He said, I'm going to give God ten minutes a day. And when I get to I can give God 30 minutes a day, I will. And if I can give God an hour, I will. But I'm going to give him ten minutes every day. He said, and I've promised to give my wife a fair share of time. For the first time in ten years, we went and checked ourselves into a motel, and we just, for three days, did nothing but talk about goals and where we're going and what we're going to accomplish. He said, we're going to exist with one business in one town, in one state, and that's going to be it. He came to the same conclusion that I think God taught all the way through Scripture, that bigger is not better. It's finding His plan for our lives that's important. If you're struggling with credit card debt, I recommend Christian Credit Counselors. For more information, call the Crown Helpline, 800-722-1976, or visit us online at crown.org slash ccc. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. The bookends of our lives are secure in Jesus from beginning to end. He's the author, and what does author to the Hebrews say? He's the author and the finisher or the completer of our faith and the bookends of our life are secure i know sometimes the in between (laughs) the bookends throws us for a loop causes us to question causes us to doubt brings great sorrow into our lives great confusion at times but listen god is going to keep his promises to you and me he's not going to back down on any of them and he will fulfill all that he's promised to us For more biblical encouragement to help you grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus, visit edtaylor.org. Again, that's edtaylor.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor is a presentation of Calvary Aurora. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of Signs of the Times. It's our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news. Today is Friday, March 5th, 2021. This is episode 159 for those listening later on, on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Stitcher, any of those ways. Or maybe you're listening right from our Way Media app that you can download from Apple or Google, or at our website at thewaymedia.net. Just click on Signs of the Times. Okay, Pastor Mark. Yes. It is time. It is time. You've got mail. We've got a listener question, Pastor Mark, from Courtney. Uh, the topic of her question has to do with babies in the womb. And she says, I have recently had a discussion with someone who believes a baby in the womb doesn't have a soul until they take their first breath. Therefore, they do not believe the baby is human and it isn't murder to abort. They use scriptures like Genesis 2-7, 
Job 33, 4, and Exodus 21, 22 to back their belief. I do not believe that God sees these babies, or I do not believe that God doesn't see these babies as his creation or human, but how do I respond to people with, with, that come with Bible verses like that, and, and what verses do I use to assure them it is murder? to yeah. abort a baby yeah that's a great great question as always i mean these questions are wonderful courtney and um i wanted to break it up in two ways first i want to take the time to mention these three verses and show why that's an error to use them and then really talk about i think what's going to totally um settle the whole issue uh and, and really that's the best thing to go to is the final solution to the issue of what they're asking but first of all uh, the argument is and i'm not going to read genesis 2 7 i'll read the other two um because i've got these two marked right here but basically it's like when God formed man and breathed life into Adam. And what they're saying is, as you know, until God breathed into him, he wasn't a human. Well, that's that's true because he was made out of dirt. He wasn't even a person, whereas a baby's already a person in the womb. And I understand from an unbelieving mindset, that's not an argument they're going to follow. I get that. But it's two very different situations. So that's going to be one where it's a matter of, I think, the, the, the answer is going to solve that. But I want to go on to the other two, and that is Job 33, 4. And listen to what it says in Job 33, 4. And these are verses they're using. It says this, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Again, he's not speaking here of, of the, when you're born. This is speaking of spiritual life. And, and how do we know that? The disciples, when Jesus spoke to the disciples, Greg, and he said that he went in the upper room after he resurrected, it said he breathed into them and said, receive the Spirit. Well, they were already very much alive. They weren't dead. They've been alive for many years. They were they were close to 20 years old, most believe, or upper teens, 20 years old in, that, in range. So he wasn't talking about physical life. He was talking about spiritual life. And that is, again, what is being spoken of here in chapter 33. It's talking about spiritual life, not not physical. Although a physical life could be made application of this, uh, but we'll, we'll answer that question in just a moment. The last one I wanted to mention here, Exodus twenty-one, twenty-two, because I don't know why they use this one, because it, all you have to do is read on to see that this one doesn't mean at all what they're saying. But in Exodus twenty-one, twenty-two, it says, "If men hide, if men fight, and they hurt a woman with child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows. Okay, the baby's fine; no harm follows." He shall surely be punished according to the woman's husband and what he imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. So any, any healing, any doctor visits, etc. but the baby's fine. So I'm not sure why they're using that. But if you read on, it says, but if any man harms or if harm follows, say the baby dies, you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. That right there, the very verse they're using, Greg, if you go one verse beyond it, it destroys their argument, Courtney, because what it says is, if you, if you don't kill the baby in the womb, then all you have to do is pay the doctor bills. Okay, that's verse 22. You go into verse 23, it says, if you kill the baby in the womb, you're to be put to death. So if you're to be put to death for killing that baby in the womb, that's basically abortion. But it was abortion by striking or abortion by hurting rather than some procedure in a doctor's office. It's the same thing. So the very verse that they use there in their argument, Courtney, in that last one is nullified by the fact that it shows that if you do kill the baby, it's murder and you're to be put to death. How do we know it's considered murder? Because the Bible says the murderer shall be put to death. And so that's the consequence here for that. But I wanted to touch on those verses so you'd have an answer if the person comes back. Um, but. The reality comes down to this, and that is when Jeremiah, in the first part of Jeremiah, said this. When God was speaking to Jeremiah, he said, and this is in chapter 1 of Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, before you were in the womb, I knew you. That settles it. What he's saying is, before your mom and dad even met, before you were even conceived, much less in the womb as a living being, I already knew you, which means you were already a soul that is eternal because God knew you. So every baby is known before they're even conceived. That settles it. Then it goes on into conception. He, he doesn't know them any less during the 10 months, the nine or 10 months they're in the womb. And he certainly doesn't know them any less after they're born. So it's something that God knows from the very beginning. They have a soul from the beginning. They have a soul before they're even born. One of the verse I'd like to share and this is out of Genesis twenty five twenty two, when God was, um, again, speaking to um, 
uh, Isaac had pleaded for his wife because she couldn't have a child. And Rebecca, again, uh, is crying out to God because she's got some issues going on or during her pregnancy. They're, the kids are fighting. They're fighting in the womb here, um, Jacob and Esau. And, and so she says this. It says, but the children in verse 22 struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? Notice what she called them. She didn't say the lump of flesh, the something that's not yet a soul, something that's not yet alive. She called them children. And God answered her and said this about the children that were in her. Notice he said, two nations are in your womb. That's people. Those are souls. This is not some lump. This is not something waiting to have life breathed into it. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. So they're peoples before they're even separated from your body. And he says, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So the bottom line is, God knows everyone before they're even conceived. God calls them children while they're still in the womb. Only people and children have souls. So the argument that they're trying to say somehow until they have the breath of life, um, they do have the breath of life. A baby's alive in the womb. Um, and again, I think that should settle it right there, just having those scriptures for them. And it underscores the importance of approaching God's word on any topic exegetically. Yeah. We need to go from Genesis to Revelation, take it all in. And if we take it all in and don't cherry pick the scriptures that we want to use to prove our point, yeah. well, then we'll arrive at the truth. Yeah. Whether we want to believe that truth or not, the truth is the truth. So. Yeah. And I want to say the same thing, Greg, I said yeah. about Liel in the first half. This sure. kind of, Courtney, this kind of battle is going to be fought in prayer because what's happening with your friend here, they're blinded. And you have to remember that. They can't see. God's opened your eyes. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to, in their own heart, justify and find a way out of the murder that's going on of all of these babies, uh, maybe to give their mind rest, uh, maybe they themselves have had an abortion, whatever, they're, maybe they have a political agenda, but that's where you come back to saying, no, God said before Jeremiah was even in the womb, much less born, that God knew him. He certainly had a soul. Yeah, that's a good point. This is a spiritual battle. It is. At the end of the day, and a lot of people don't even realize what's driving them to believe these things or even want to believe these things apart from the truth of God's word. That's so, right. Thank you for that question, Courtney. If you've got a question like Courtney, we invite you to visit thewaymedia.net, click on Signs of the Times, and send us a question. And if you did that prior to today, uh, we've got a new website, new app, and of course it's a new baby, so babies have problems. So uh, <laughs> We're still changing so diapers. We're still changing diapers. I'm glad you I was going to say that, but I thought, no, I shouldn't, but you did, no, so now yeah, it's okay. Yeah, but, no, it's, but it's yeah, true. Yeah. That's just the reality of dealing with technology, and as we like to say around here, when it comes to technology, we know enough just to be dangerous. So anyway, I uh, we temporarily have the email fixed, so if you did send, the bottom line is, if you did send us a prophecy question uh from this past monday on and you weren't on the show with the question that means we didn't receive it if i can ask you and ask you for your forgiveness and go back to the waymedia.net click on signs of the times and to ask us your prophecy question and again i promise we will get to it next week yeah. all right pastor mark let's get into articles for what's a remaining of uh, this show on february or uh, march 5th this is from thefreebeacon.com, uh, and this is telling us that the Israeli military or an Israeli military official is warning the United States against rejoining the Iran nuclear deal. Yeah, our leadership is so blind on this, Greg. Let me read some of it. We're going to take a moment to talk about this. Sure. I, I, again, it says, um, current efforts could ignite a massive nuclear arms race. A group of nearly 2,000 Israeli generals, military officials, and Mossad operatives, that's their CIA, warned the Biden administration on Monday against rejoining the Iran nuclear deal, saying the effort represents an existential threat to the Jewish state and will ignite a massive nuclear arms race across the Middle East. The high-ranking military officials organized as part of the Israeli coalition known as the Habithanis Habithanin, this is a hard word to say. Habith on Istim. I'm not going to say that word. Anyway, um, I'll, I'll try to pronounce it. I said it great before the show, multiple times, and now I can't say Habithaninist. it. Habithanistum. Habithanistum. Thanks for correcting. No, 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 no. I got it. I got it. I got it. I did that totally anyway, cold. Okay, this it's, group. It's Habithanistum. You, you did great. Habithanistum. They outlined their concerns in a letter sent Monday to President Biden and Secretary of State Antony Blinken, by, signed by 24 uh, generals. And I quote, when it comes to Iranian nuclear threat, there's almost total unanimous agreement among Israelis' military top brass, retired Brigadier General Amir Avivi, the director of this group, said to the Washington Free Beacon, this is not about politics, it's about the very survival of the Jewish state. 
What is needed, the officials wrote, is not to succumb to the false brinkmanship and nuclear blackmail of Iran and to use the maximum uh, and use maximum pressure sanctions to demand Iran accept a more effective deal that will not include sunset clauses and will guarantee that Iran shall never have the capacity to produce a nuclear weapon. I want to talk about this for a moment. Here's the deal. Our current administration, and I don't say this for any other reason than just honestly, they are completely blind to the whole situation of the Middle East and what's happening. It's shockingly blind, and maybe the blindness comes from political views. I don't know. But here's the thing. When it's your life that's on the line, you see things very differently. Israel is struggling for survival. They are surrounded by people that hate them and want to destroy them as a nation. Iran is their one of their greatest enemies over there. And the, the current administration is helping Iran to build the nuclear weapons and, and doing things that are going to make Israel more vulnerable because they're the ones that are going to be destroyed and they're right in their path. You know, we're over here and we don't think they're going to mess with us, but it's very different for those in Israel. And Greg, the blindness is amazing to me how blind they are because when they hurt our allies, and I don't know that they even see it that it's hurting Israel, but when they hurt our allies, they'll hurt us. Remember, in that world, Iran says, you know, first Saturday, then Sunday. That is first they want Israel, then they want America because they see us as a Christian nation, although we're not really a Christian nation anymore, and they want to destroy us. And so um, this whole uh, situation here where we're now helping them to get the nuclear weapons going again and even giving them money, even pressuring South Korea to give them $8 billion back that they had frozen, they're going to use that $8 billion just to, for terrorism against Israel Greg, right on the wings of a terrorist attack that happened a couple of days ago, maybe you heard they released a lot of oil right off the coast of Israel, killed multitudes of animals. Nobody was hurt, no people. But sea turtles, a lot of animals washed up dead. They're not cleaning it up, but it was it was a terrorist attack. And um, they've stated they want to destroy Israel. They want to destroy America. They're currently carrying on terrorism attacks. They're developing a nuclear weapon, and our administration is helping them to do it. It's baffling. It's spiritual warfare, and it shows the complete blindness of our current leadership in America. Israel's saying, hey, please stop. They're going to try to destroy us, and you're helping them destroy us. Amazing to see what's happening here. But again, we need to recognize the blindness and the opposition to Israel in the last days. It shouldn't surprise us. Hmm. No, it should not. Yeah. All right. Let's take a look at some One World Government news. Do you remember a soap opera? Uh, this, the title of the article is making me think about this. Yes. But there was a soap opera. It's not on anymore. But the title of it was As the World Turns. That's right. That's right. Well, As the World Turns, the climate action yeah. is the title of this article coming uh, directly, really, from, uh, I guess, a credible source when it comes to climate change. Uh, as far as they're concerned, and that would be EarthDay.org. Yeah, yeah. And again, this is something I want to take a moment on. We'll read some of this from EarthDay.org, and then I want to discuss really what's happening here from the spiritual viewpoint. EarthDay.org, this is from their own article, is honored that the Biden administration has decided to convene a global climate summit on Earth Day 2021. Many uh, important environmental events have happened on Earth Day since 1970, including the recent signing of the Paris Agreement, as Earth Day continues to be a monumentous and unifying day each and every year. We look forward to being a part of this, of this historic climate summit and making active progress to restore our Earth, they say. Again, the Global Climate Summit, just some highlights. President, he, uh, again, he, his ambitious goals are to have a pollution-free power sector by 2035 and uh, puts the United States on an irreversible path to a net-zero economy, that is for carbon and all that, by 2050. This is not possible, but this is the path it's putting us on. Basically, we're being put on a path of impossibility. Of bankruptcy. Yeah. President Biden will also sign an important presidential memorandum on scientific integrity to send a clear message that they will follow the science. This is almost comical to me because, again, um, they say they follow the science, but, Greg, what happens is when the science doesn't line up with their political views, suddenly the science... They change the science. Suddenly the science changes. Some of the main things they're going to be doing here, they'll be tackling a climate crisis at home and a broad executive order, or, he, or he's, he's putting that in place, which we'll talk about... Um, Take a whole world of government approach, using all the government to help with climate. Uh, leverage the federal government's footprint and buying power to lead by example. Rebuild infrastructure for a sustainable economy. Now, I'm not going to go down the whole list. The bottom line is um, they are basically saying, and of course the last one here is secure environmental justice and spur economic opportunity. Here's what's happening. 
mankind through our current administration and not just here it's around the world this is a spiritual deception and i almost see this greg as kind of like a um, um a climate babylon you know we talked about babylon being the um the spiritual deception of the world the bible talks about it being that and um all religions link back to ancient Babylon. Uh, religion, man's religions have come out of Babylon. Of course, Jesus Christ came and, and had a relationship given through his son, uh, or through Jesus Christ himself and God through his son. But man's religions come out of Babylon, and it's a false religious system, okay? What's happening with climate change, look at what happened with Babylon. In Babylon, they tried to, man tried to say, we're not going to do what God says. We're going to do things our own way. And God had to come and scatter them because it was a total failure and wasn't going to work. What's happening with climate change is God says in his word that if we will repent of our sins and honor him, he will take care of our environment. He says, if you repent, I'll send rain. I'll make your crops grow. I'll make sure you have good air and water and all that because that's needed for all that. He says, repent, follow me, and I'll control the environment. And rather than submitting to God, like they, same thing they didn't submit to God with Babylon, the Tower of Babel. Now they're not submitting to God with the climate, and they're saying, no, we don't care what your word says. We're not going to turn to the Bible. We're going to say, man's going to fix it. We're going to make the climate right. We're, gonna, we're not going to repent. We're just going to do things to make the climate better. And we'll get to more articles in a moment. But the bottom line is, we're going to do it our way. We're going to start making people stop driving cars. We're going to stop using gas. And we're going to fix the world by our own means. It is really environmental Babylonianism is what's going on here. Because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. And what the current administration and really the whole world right now is saying, you know, we're going to do things our own way by our own means and we'll fix it. And it's going to fail miserably. And it's interesting in Babylon, God had to scatter them and give them different languages and destroy, if you will, what they were trying to do on their own apart from God. When you read the book of Revelation, God's going to do the same thing to our climate. It would appear, Greg, this is going to continue to expand in further and further efforts in the climate to the point of worship of the climate, which I think is already there. And it won't be man that destroys it. Anything in competition with God, he removes. It will be God, according to the book of Revelation, that will destroy the environment. God says he will destroy the oceans. He will destroy the rivers. He will destroy the oxygen supply in the air. He will destroy everything because man is worshiping it and he's going to take away every other God and he's going to come back in the second coming and establish his throne. So what's interesting about this is you see man working toward the worship of nature, the worship of creation, and the false worship that man can fix his own problems rather than do what God said, repent, and God said, I'll take care of everything else. So again, when you see this, you see really the blindness of man, the foolishness of man, and really gets into our next article here, which I'll let you lead us into. Well, we're going into growing anti-Semitism. Oh, okay. I was trying to, maybe I should mention, okay. <laughs> I want to mention about the spray disc. Are we skipping the spray? Is that later? No, that's later. I got you. Sorry. You because got that's technologically you got organized. Uh, underpinning. You told me that. To I told you that you to in listen, our show prep. You told me that. And I practiced that word before. I did not come unprepared for that word. <laughs> I just lost it when, the, when we went on the air. So go ahead. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Growing anti-Semitism. This is out of IsraelNationalNews.com. The United States and United Kingdom scholars have signed a petition supporting a lecturer who made anti-Semitic statements. Amazing. Greg, it's gotten so bad. We know the Bible says in the last days, anti-Semitism will grow. The Bible tells us that in Zechariah as well as other places. But it's amazing here now that we have a professor that is openly being anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, and the community around them is not saying, what are you doing? Uh, that happened with Hitler. We'll never do that again. They're supporting him. About 200 academics from the United Kingdom and the United States have signed a petition defending a British university lecturer who called the Jewish students of his campus pawns of Israel and a violent, racist, foreign regime engaged in ethnic cleansing. He basically started speaking the very voice of Hitler and, our, and professors from our nation and over there saying, way to go, good job, we stand with you. Who would have ever dreamed this? We're talking 70-some years ago, and we're already in this place 70, 80 years ago, and we're seeing it happening. Unbelievable. Professor Miller is an eminent scholar, 
They say known international for exposing the role that powerful actors and well-sourced coordinated networks play in manipulating and stage managing public debates, including racism. But in the petition defending Miller, who has declined to apologize or retract his um, hateful remarks, his advocates said that the attacks on Professor Miller stem from a lecture on Islamophobia that he gave to students uh, in Bristol two years ago. It doesn't matter where it came from. The point is, it's wrong. It was evil. It says, the Israelis have sent people in, Miller said, particularly through interfaith work. Now, watch what he does here. Pretending Jews and Muslims working together will be apolitical, uh, be an apolitical way of countering racism. He's saying, look, the Jews are coming in and acting like they want to help solve problems. All they're doing is getting people to accept the Jews. That's nonsense. We can never accept the Jews, basically is what he's saying. He says, it's a, tro- a Trojan horse for normalizing Zionism in the Muslim community. We saw it in East London in a mosque, for example, where East London Mosque unknowingly held this project of making chicken soup with Jewish and Muslim communities coming together. Oh, that must have been horrible. This is an Israeli-backed project to normalize Zionism within the Muslim community, and they were doing that at the same time they were doing an attack on the uh, on Jeremy Corbyn, a far-left and anti-Israel politician who was the previous leader of the Labour Party. What he's saying is, is Zionism is bad, Jews are bad, and they're trying to do nice things to get people to accept them. This guy is just speaking the voice of Satan, the voice of the enemy, and it's amazing to me that he can do it and not only get opposition, at least very much, but he has all these other professors from universities backing him, Greg. Now we know why our universities are in such a mess. The enemy has infiltrated to the nth degree, and we're seeing it. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned 70 years since Hitler. I'm, I'm thinking about from Jesus' earthly ministry to the time that he gave the words to John to write Revelation and address the seven churches was about 70 years. Yeah. So, uh, well, it's been a little bit longer. I was a little about, bit longer. Yeah, okay. It's been a little bit longer. I threw 70 out there, but we're actually getting closer to, you know, 80 makes or think, well, makes me think about that. Yeah, 1945. But yes, very interesting. It, it is around 70 some, 70 to 80. We're in that range. Yeah. Okay. All right. Pestilence, plagues, disasters, and corruption. Uh, CBS News is, says a report is finding that freshwater fish are in a quote unquote catastrophic decline with one third facing extinction yeah i'm going to make a comment we'll move on because i want to get to the other article we didn't finish a moment ago but let me just say this let me just say this hey here's the bottom line the bible says there'll be famine in the last days so watching our fish die very interesting this will affect uh, affect the world supply and again could feed into that scenario of famine okay all right we got two articles we've got about two minutes all right so that's your challenge all right let's do it (laughs) all right the first one is from eurekealert.org it's from the american association for the advancement of Science, where they say it's a world's first, a robot able to hear through the ear yes. of a locust. Let me just say, I find it interesting. They're using a locust ear to, to run these robots. Here's why I want to mention it. This is just an honorable mention. Put it in the back of your mind. There's going to be an army of 200 million coming against Israel. And we know that demons are behind them, Revelation tells us, that are like locusts. So I'm wondering, could there be something here that has to do with the technology and locusts and this new army robotic demons behind it? But keep your eye on that. Very interesting. Let's hit the last one. Okay. From the uh, from the category of if you think the problems we created are bad, just wait until you see our solutions. <laughs> this is from Forbes.com. Uh, Bill Gates Venture aims to spray dust into the atmosphere oh to block my. the sun. Oh, my. What could go wrong? Greg, did I say we're playing God or not? <laughs> yes. They want to literally try to save the planet by spraying dust. And Microsoft, Bill Gates, mil- billionaire financially backing the sun-dimming technology that would potentially reflect sunlight out of the Earth's atmosphere by this um, calcium carbonate dust. David Keith, a professor of applied physics and public policy at Harvard University, said there are very many real concerns, no kidding, of geoengineering. It is true that no one knows what will happen to this when it's released. Look, Bill Gates is a computer guy. Everybody's looking at him like a scientist. He is not. He just has a lot of money. He says the temperatures decreases will bring serious risks, even if it works, to other parts of the world. Uh, 1850, it led to failed crops when the temperatures dropped. British scientists have cited stratospheric aerosols from volcanic eruptions, also caused drought in Africa. David Keith proposed the creation of a risk pool to compensate smaller nations that are affected by this for collateral damage. Let me sum this up before the music starts. He wants to spray dust in the atmosphere, a special reflective dust, to keep sunlight from coming in. What if the Earth starts getting cooler and now the sun can't get in? Look at the catastrophes of Revelation. 
It may be Bill Gates contributing to that. Now, no, God's doing it. Let me say this. God's doing it. But he may use the, the foolishness of man to make it happen. We are not God. Bill Gates is not God. God controls the climate. We need to leave it alone. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added. God will hold his planet together for his people that he's created until he destroys the environment, which he will do at the very last, the Bible says in the book of Revelation. Then he will come back in the second coming. He will restore the earth. He'll restore mankind and will live on a beautiful restored earth for a thousand years with Jesus, with government that understands the things of the Spirit and God. And Pastor Mark's prophecy car has just <laughs> slid into the parking lot. He just, he got it in, folks. <laughs> oh, don't forget, the, way, the WayMedia.net is where you can get all things Signs of the Times related. We hope you have a great weekend and hope you come back next Friday at 1.30 as we continue to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's Word is Signs of the Times. Have a great week, everyone. been one of those days you question whether a friend is really even a friend an offense gets under your skin and you resent the one who hurt you left alone the thoughts you think make an enemy of someone you care about god gave some advice it's like he was saying don't get angry or bitter leave rage behind watch what you say and do be kind forgive a friend god did that for you wiam 101.1 fm the way Everybody hurts sometimes, I know that's what they say. But right now it seems this loneliness won't go 